Okay, let's go into the word. We're going into Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, Exodus, uh, second book of the Bible, chapter 12, verse 21 to 27. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 to 27. I do get offended if you yawn during my second half. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 to 27. 21 to 27. And this is the word of God. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, why do you mean, what what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you for this morning when we could come and and praise you and worship you. And Lord, as we hear your, your word today, remind us, remind us of your great love for us. And Lord, may that move us. May that open our hearts. May that prepare us for the worship that you call us to. Lord, speak to us today. May I become less. May you become more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I, I'm a very uh, romantic guy. Uh, I, or I was until I got married, right? Uh, I, I, I love doing things for my wife. I love making her feel loved. And it's funny because um, when you do it too much, it kind of loses its its feeling right you know you buy flowers every day for your wife and after a while it's just like oh flowers again you know it's but i i love my wife and i remember when we were dating i we dated long distance she was here i was in the u.s and i would call her and at some point at some point i was like i need to tell you something you know i i have I have words that I need to tell you, but I don't. I want to tell you this in person, but it's it's overwhelming my heart. I have to tell you soon, right? And she's like, "What is it? What is this? What do you want to say?" And I said, "I love you." I remember the first time I said it, and her response was, "What does that even mean?" (laughs) No, 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 no. That's not the right response. You're supposed to say, "I love you too," right? No, she was like, what does that mean? It, it, you know, I love you. It's just three words. I love you is something that you can say to someone, 
But without the action that comes with it, it means nothing. I could say to you, I could say to you, as soon as we met, I could have been like, hello, my name is Alex, and I love you. And do you know what you would have done? What would you have done? You would have been like, I love you too, right? That's the right answer. No. You would have been like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, like, it's weird. Like, how could you love me? You don't know me. You just met me. How could you possibly say that you love me? Love comes with action. When we think about the Exodus, what we think about is um, we think about Israel coming out of Egypt and going into going out and uh, uh, being brought out. And it's an amazing, amazing moment. But what we have to see is God is showing his character, showing not just his faithfulness, not just his faithfulness that is in his name. God is showing his great love for us. When I prepared this sermon, I, this was the tomorrow, tonight's sermon. I had prepared this as the, the night sermon because I feel like this is the crux. This is when it happens. This is when the exodus, it, it kind of culminates in this point. And I was like, oh, and I was ready to you know, finish. And I realized, no, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of exodus. There's um, more than half a, a book left. This is not even the halfway point. And I realized I would only be preaching a certain, uh, the, only the beginning of Exodus in this. And so I realized, no, this has to be the second. But this is something that we need to hold on to when we think about leaving. When we think about exiting, if we, the only possibility of leaving something, of leaving something that is beneficial, of leaving something that is good in your eyes, in the world's eyes, the only way you can leave that is if there is something better waiting for you. The only way you can say, I don't love this world. This world is not something that I have to be invested in. Is if you see the love that is awaiting you. You see a, a greater love. We are called to come out. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, I talked about yesterday was, is it a camp or is it a retreat? Right? Um, one of the reasons I like the word retreat is, um, when I think retreat, I'm not thinking like a spa retreat. That's not what this is. Uh, kind of, it's kind of like that, right? When I think a retreat, I actually think of uh, military strategy. When you are in the world, you have to think of it as a battle. You're constantly in battle with the world, constantly trying not to be tempted by the world, being pulled by the world's desires, by the distractions of this world. And at some point in the year, it's great to just retreat. Retreat and regroup. Maybe we should call it a regroup, right? You come together as, as fellow brothers and sisters, spending time not just together, but spending time worshiping, spending time with God. And it's a concentrated time of worship. And that is what we think about when we think about a retreat. You have retreated from the world. 
and you're regrouping, preparing for the continued battle ahead. But as we think about this, what we have to think about is why? Why should we do this? Because you know what the world says to you? The world says to you, I love you. The world says to you, I love you. You want to hear that from the world. The reason people uh, become famous, the reason people want to um, you know, have a lot of money, have security in this world is because they want to hear the world say to them, I love you. But the world is a very demanding lover. The world around us demands that if you're, if you're going to receive my love, you need to act a certain way. If you're going to uh, receive my love, you're going to have to look a certain way. If you're going to receive my love, you're going to have to do this, this, and this for me. When I, when I got married, my intentions of marriage was wrong. I, when I proposed to my wife, when uh, we got married, up to the point of the marriage ceremony, I think I was doing it for the wrong reason. Why did I want to get married? I wanted to get married so that I would, you know, I would have somebody that would fulfill my loneliness. I wanted to be married so that I had somebody who would love me, who would uh, uh, be with me. It was all about me. And that's the thing about the love of this world. It's all about me. I think when, when you think about love, uh, if I was to say, think about a, a, love, a love story, a lot of you will think of Disney. Disney, I grew up watching Disney. Um, once again, very romantic. You know, I didn't say this in front of uh, my peers, but... In, in secret, I, was, I loved movies like Aladdin and uh, Beauty and the Beast. Those, oh, oh, you know, I'm like the beast. <laughs> Somebody has to look past this to love, love what's inside. You know? And I, 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 you know, I, 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 I love that. But what's interesting about Disney movies is they're, they're a flawed idea of love. If you think about Snow White, Cinderella, what, 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 what ends the story? What makes it everything better? Is that Prince Charming comes. Prince Charming comes and they get married. And what's the ending? The what's what what's the last thing that they say? They lived happily ever after. And I know that cannot be true. They didn't live happily ever after. You know, Cinderella, what, what, was, what, what did the prince see? Why, when did he fall in love with her? He saw her in this beautiful gown and this, all this makeup and she was beautiful. She walked in and as he saw her, immediately he was like, I love you. Right? Do you know what's interesting? When she runs away, what does he know about her? She's beautiful. What else? What's her name? What does she do for a living? Where does she live? What do you know? I know she fits this glass slipper, you know? That's it. That's all she knows. That's all he knows. And what's worse is his father, 
All he's thinking about is, ooh, she's going to provide grandkids. That's all he's thinking about. What's going to happen after they get married? So, what's your name? You know? What do you like? What do you like to eat? You know? What do you do for fun? He has to they have to learn all this. There's a, probably this constant pressure from the king, you know, give me grandchildren, you know. It's it's not really a love story. And yet that's what the world promotes. Look good. That'll get you love. Find somebody that will fulfill you. That's love. That's what it promotes. But when we think about the excess, we need to go away from that kind of love. We need to realize that there is a greater love. Uh, Tim Keller, um, I, I don't know the word for word quote for this, but Tim Keller says something to the effect of, when, when you are loved but not known fully, when somebody loves you but doesn't know you fully, that's superficial. I shallow. If somebody comes to you and says, I saw you from across the room and I immediately fell in love. As romantic as that sounds, it's like, no, you don't know me. As if all that's, you know, that love is based on is my looks, then it just takes one accident. It just takes one wrinkle for that love to go. It just takes one other person that looks better than me for that love to be distracted. Why? Because it's shallow. To be loved and not known is shallow. But to be fully known and not loved is probably one of our greatest fears. One of the things that you, um, when you're dating... Okay, just, just some advice. Don't let the other person know who you are. No, no, it's normal. It's natural. You don't. You know, one of the things I never did around my wife before I got married that I do all the time now that we're married is I fart. Before I got married, no, never. She would probably was like, wow, he always smells so good. <laughs> And there'll be times when it's, it's there. I can feel that gas bubble in my stomach. And I'm like, okay, don't move from this position. Oh, I'm just going to go to the restroom real quick. Turn on the fan really loud. and yeah. I, no, you don't. But you know what's weird? That's not me. Me, comfortable when I'm at home in front of my siblings, I was like... Just let it rip, and uh, my siblings would be like, oh, oh, Alex, you're so crazy. Oh, no! <laughs> no that, was, that, was, that was how I was. That's who I am. Flaws and all. You don't want to reveal that part of you. You don't want to reveal that part of you until they are committed to you. You don't want to reveal how uh, the things that bothers you. You don't want to reveal that, you know, all the character flaws that you have. Because the fear is, as soon as somebody fully knows me, 
then I cannot be loved. But there's a third combination. To be loved and not known is shallow. To be known but not loved is our fear. But to be known and still be loved is is our greatest joy. To to have someone know you, to have someone see you when you wake up with before you put on makeup, you know, with your hair all crazy and just look at you and be like, I love you so much. You know, my wife when she wakes up, I look at her and I go, Wow, how can you look so beautiful in, in the morning? You know, and her hair is crazy. You know, she has like little eye boogers and I can't, like little dry spit. And I was like, oh, you're so beautiful. Right? Now, I can't say that out loud because I have bad morning breath, right? But, you know, like, there's, it's, it's who you are. God, God loves us. God loves us. And the crazy, crazy thing is, He knows us better. He knows us better than even you know yourself. And when you know yourself, you know yourself well enough, you know yourself well enough that you will not reveal that self to the people you love. You will not reveal yourself because you think to yourself, how could anyone love me? Knowing this is who I am. But God loves you in spite of that. When I said to my, my uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife currently, when I said to her, I love you, she responded, what does that mean? Show me. You have to, I feel like love, has, you know, how, it's just something you say over the phone. But there's, it's impossible to see unless we're together. God loves us and we see it in his action. We see it in what he does for us. When we look at this passage, what is happening? God God decides, you know what? I'm going to save these people. I'm going to use Moses. And it's the 10 plagues, the 10 plagues of of Egypt. And uh, one of the things you'll notice about the pattern of the 10 plagues, and I won't go into this in too much detail, but it's really... Uh, two gods fighting or uh, even like a king his god and and so what each each um, each plague corresponds to a god for instance the first plague is the Nile turns to blood and what does Moses do he strikes it with his staff he touches the uh, the Nile with his staff and what does the Nile do the Nile, which is considered sacred to the Egyptians, when he strikes it, what happens? The Nile bleeds. It dies. Everything in it dies. It becomes a, a dead body in the, you know, in the water. That's what it becomes. And you know, in, that, in that moment, there's a, a clash between what the Egyptians think is God and the true God. To say that it's verses is not really right. 
If I went up against a, a professional boxer, you know, I'm, I'm, I love watching these fighting sports. And when I watch these fighting sports, I go, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. That's, oh, Jesus, what an idiot, you know. But, yeah, if he was standing right in front of me, yeah, I probably wouldn't be saying those things. Why? Because it wouldn't be a fight. It'd be a massacre. You know, I would not have any competition with this fighter. You know, he would probably be like, and I would, he would win. When God goes up against these, these things that the Egyptians consider their gods, that the Egyptians consider sacred, that the Egyptians consider the, the greatest of great, he crushes them one by one. And did you notice how it ends? It ends with the uh, sun, the sun becoming dark, darkness taking over the land. That's the ninth plague. And it's the greatest God that they have, Ra, you know, the sun God. And God very simply just wipes him out. And in that moment, you would think to yourself, you know, they're, they're all gone. Who else is left? And this is God displaying his glory. At that final moment, the tenth plague, they should have known. What's the tenth plague going to be? If all the gods are gone, what's the last god that is left? The son of the gods. It's the Pharaoh himself. And when God strikes, this, you know, there's something different about this last plague. In that up till this point, Israel didn't have to really do anything. They just kind of sat there and the plague didn't hit them. But in this last plague, there's a, something that they have to do. What do they do? They have to kill a Passover lamb. And there's, uh, there's something about this lamb. It has to be a, a, a male lamb, one year old. Uh, it could be um, sheep or goat. doesn't matter. But without blemish. Perfect. And this lamb dies. And the blood is placed on the doorpost, on the lintel, um, the doorway. It's just painted on. And it's a sign. It's a sign that when the, the angel of death comes, and this plague comes and strikes every household, only the ones with the lintel, the blood on the lintel, only the ones that have been covered with blood, he passes over. Very... Oh, you know, weird. You know, why, why would we do this? But okay, we'll do it. And they do it. They do it. And what happens? There is an outcry in Egypt. Pharaoh's own firstborn son dies. His own son dies. You know what's interesting? Every house, every firstborn, dies that day. They all deserve to die. When you look at uh, Genesis, you have to realize there's this curse of the firstborn. When you look at the story of the patriarch, there's only one firstborn that doesn't die. If you look, all the heroes of, the, of Genesis, there's only one firstborn that, oh no, that not doesn't die, but he's, he's used by God as the line. There's only one. If you notice, like, you know, Adam and Eve, after Adam and Eve, it's Cain and Abel. And what 
Is it Cain's line? No, it's Seth's line. If you look at each one, and you know, you get to Abraham. Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, right? And this is the interesting thing. When oh no, actually, it's not just yeah. Anyways, Ishmael, Ishmael doesn't get it. The firstborn doesn't get it. It's Isaac. When it gets to Esau and Jacob, Esau's the firstborn. Not the firstborn, it's uh, Jacob. And if, if you, even uh, Reuben and the 12 tribes, it's not Reuben, it's Judah. There's always this skipping over of the firstborn, which is just not what the culture says. I, I grew up in a culture where the firstborn is considered the real son, and I was considered like a second. And it, I was treated very differently from my older brother. Uh, he, was, he was mowing the lawn. He was, my parents said to him, you must marry a Korean person. You know, because you want the blood, bloodline pure. While you, Alex, you know, experiment. You can have any. I was like, really? You're giving, you're my father. You're not supposed to say stuff like that, you know. It's racist and it's immoral, you know, like. You know, come on, like, just stick with one, you know. And, but that's the kind of culture we live in. And in this culture, what does God say to, there is this debt, this debt that is owed by your family. A debt of death. You are owed death. As soon as Adam ate the fruit, he should have died right then and there. But God let him live. And what did he do after he lived? He had a child. And what did that child do? He murdered his brother. But he allowed people to continue to procreate, continue to multiply and fill the earth. And in so doing, they were passing on this debt. This debt of death. And what happens in Exodus, this final plague is, he calls. So we, we think about this and we go, hey, it's, it's pretty unfair. From the Egyptian side, I think it's unfair. Because guess what? I know it sounds really bad, but guess what? All the Egyptians weren't bad. Like, when we read the story, we think of Egypt as this evil nation. Not all the Egyptians weren't bad. I guarantee there were good Egyptians. If you talk about midwives that are... They, they saved a bunch of boys. They saved a bunch of these children because they couldn't kill the children. And guess what? They were Egyptian. Not all the Egyptians are bad. Why, are they, why, why do they have to lose their firstborn? Because their king is evil. Because the one who represents them is evil. You know what else is interesting about this? This is the one plague. This is the one plague where, guess what? Nobody had to die. Nobody had to suffer. It was entirely possible for a, a household, Israel household, to say, you know what? I'm going to call my neighbor. And I'm going to tell that neighbor, come. Come to my house. Stay at my house. If you stay at my house, your son will not die. 
He could have done that to every household and every Egyptian household if they just went into one of these houses that was covered with blood. Guess what? There would have been no death. Even the Pharaoh himself, Moses could have said, come, come into my house. They could have done that, but they didn't. Why? Because they were thinking about freedom. Because there had to be a show of power. Death. Somebody had to die. Why was it that only one household lived and one didn't? It's because one household, their child paid. Another household, a lamb paid. And guess what? A child is not worth a lamb. I don't know how many of you are like, you know, uh, uh, vegan and pita, you know, uh, animals are, you know, I think animals do need some rights, you know, they shouldn't be tortured, they, you know, they should be killed humanely and stuff like that. Uh, they should live uh, in, you know, free range and stuff like that. But a child and an animal, if somebody were to say to me, your son or this lamb, not, not fair. Not a fair comparison. Either kill your son, kill the lamb, I'm to the lamb. You know, if, if, if somebody were to say to me, kill, kill my worst enemy son or this lamb, I'm the lamb. I don't, you know, why would I want somebody to die? It's the life is, the lamb is not worth. It's, that blood is not worth. It, it points at something else. And this is how you know, you know that you are loved by God. This is how you know that you are loved, fully, fully loved, fully known and fully loved. How do you know? Because a lamb died for you. It wasn't a, an animal lamb. It, wasn't, it was the Son of God. His only Son, whom He loves. If I came to each of you and gave you a flower and said, I love you, you can say, you know what? By giving me this flower, you know, it cost you. It cost you something. You know, I kind of believe this statement that maybe you do care about me. but to give your only son, to have him shed his blood. Lamb had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. Jesus was without blemish. And if you think about how precious is my child, how precious is this child who, who gave who, who lived perfectly, who did everything I told him to, and then he's going to die for people who are stiff-necked, who are sinners, who disobey me, who, who love other things. That's, that's an incredible sacrifice. It's an incredible act of love. 
Do you know if um, uh, I'm a bit of a people pleaser? And depending on who I'm around, I'm a different person, right? When I'm around people and I have some level of comp- confidence that they're, they care about me, they love me, I'm much more free. I'm much more free to be myself. I'm much more outgoing. And, but if I'm in, in a room full of people I don't know who are looking at me and kind of trying to determine my worth, I feel different. I act different. As if I'm trying to, to earn their love, earn their trust, earn. But when I'm fully loved, when I'm fully loved and I know this, I can be myself. Stop looking for the love of people. Because that love fluctuates up and down. That's just human beings. You know, and you will be loved. I, I, I don't know a single person in this room uh, you know, that isn't lovable. Right? You guys are very lovable. Very, it's, it's such a joy to spend time with you. But you are fully loved. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter what happens, you are fully loved. Loved beyond comprehension. Loved more than you could possibly love. Loved more than your parents could love you. Loved more than your your lover could love you. Loved more than anything. By the one who knows you fully, despite all of that, he loves you. He loves you at a cost. At a cost. At his own son who suffered and died for you. This is how much you are loved. You don't have to put on makeup. You don't have to look a certain way. You are loved fully as you are. And to be reminded of that, it frees us. You exit from a world that demands that you look a certain way, that you act a certain way, that you perform a certain way, at a certain level, to be loved. And suddenly, somebody says to you, somebody who really matters, the only one who really matters, says to you, I love you. Here is a gift to show how much I love you. My own son. There is no greater love than the Father for His Son. Than God. God the Father for God the Son. It's a love that is a relationship that uh, was eternity past. And eternity to come. And yet, that, that is what He's given for you. He is the sacrifice. You need proof of your love. You need proof of your worth. That's exactly what you're worth. The blood of the Son of God. When you think about your household... There is blood covering your doorpost. There is blood that covers you. Not the blood of an animal. The blood of the Lamb of God. The blood of God covers you. So that when you should receive your punishment for your sins, 
the Son of God receives it for you. Nothing you do, nothing, no matter what you do, you cannot do anything to make God love you any less. At the same time, nothing you do can make God love you any more. Because that's it. That's how, how much He loves you. That's, that's uh, the pinnacle of love. You are loved and no matter what, when we look at this Passover passage, when we look at this situation, it's God showing His Christ, His salvation, and His love for us. You live in this house. You live in this house that is covered by blood. And if you truly love the Lamb, if you truly love God, love Jesus, anybody in your life that you love, the greatest gift you can give to that person is to bring them into the house. The greatest gift you can give them isn't a million dollars, it isn't a, a house, it isn't a car, it isn't your body. The greatest gift you can give to another person is for them to know Jesus as eternal life. But in order for us to do that, we first have to be loved. So today as we uh, go from here, um, you know, and you know, you, you're going to have time to speak to one another and hang out together and you play games and... But, Remind each other of how much they're loved. You know, you can say, you know, I love you. Uh, just the proper response to that is, I love you too. But, you know, don't force it, right? <laughs> don't lie. Right? But, you know, I love you. Remind them how much they're loved. Remind them who they are in Christ. Loved. Loved by the Father. Remind them of the great cost he paid. And continue to do this you know, throughout the day. And I hope that even from now on, anytime you guys come together, remind each other of who they are, of how much they're loved, at what great cost they were loved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us such love that even though we deserve the condemnation for our sins, that you sent your Son to receive that, to shed his blood, to cover us, cover our houses. Lord, I pray that we would be instruments of that love, that we would bring people out out of the land of slavery, of sin, and bring them into the household of your love, into the household that is covered by the blood of Christ. Lord, use us. May this be our act of love for the love that we receive from you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.